Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Today's gospel reading uh, has significance for me personally because it was one of the passages of Scripture that I was thumbing through uh, back in 1974 that really arrested my attention and brought me up short. Uh, there was Jesus himself talking about the separation, the sheep and the goats, the final judgment. It was sobering, it was shocking, and uh, it shook me up. Let me read the passage for you. You've heard it many times, but it's worth reading. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is Matthew 25, by the way, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be assembled before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink, a stranger, and you welcomed me. Naked, you clothed me. Ill, you cared for me. In prison, you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them in reply, Amen, I say to you. Whatever you did for one of these least brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. A stranger, and you gave me no welcome. Naked, you gave me no clothing. Ill and in prison, and you did not care for me. Then they will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or ill or in prison and not minister to your needs? He will answer them, Amen, I say to you, what you did not do for one of these least ones you did not do for me. And these will go off to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This passage is dynamite. It is shocking. And in our society, it's grossly offensive. In modern America, even more so in modern Europe, this kind of teaching is very hard for people to accept. Our culture embraces pluralism and relativism and universalism, and it is allergic to any hint of exclusion. The idea of a final irreconcilable separation between people, whether for reasons of race or ethnicity or religious belief, goes completely against the grain of our culture. This is especially distasteful because some are going to enter the blessedness of eternal life in heaven, and the excluded will enter the everlasting misery of judgment in hell. The truth is, we have been so ineffective in teaching the faith that most Americans, even in the church, believe it will be easy to pass through the last judgment on their way to heaven. To the degree that most Americans think of salvation and death at all, they've 
contrived the notion that all you have to do to get to heaven is die. But Jesus in Matthew 25 gives us a compelling description of the separation that will happen at the end. Jesus is is eliciting all his moral authority here. Uh, He has said, first of all, uh, well, let me say, Matthew has set this up in dramatic fashion. There's real drama here. First of all, chapter 25 concludes the fifth and final discourse of Jesus' teaching. Matthew has five bodies of teaching, and this is the last one. And the Matthew 25 passage is the climax of it. Secondly, Jesus has actually been building up to this climactic moment just before the Matthew 25 passage and the separation of the sheep and goats. You've had the parable of the homeowner and the thief, followed by the wicked, irresponsible servant who did not know the time of his master's return, and so he squandered his time in stewardship. That was followed by the parable of the unprepared ten virgins who failed to properly ration their oil for their lamps. And that's followed by the parable of the worthless, unproductive steward who was afraid to invest the talents the Lord had entrusted to him. Each of these four parables, leading up to the separation of the sheep and goats, emphasize watching and waiting and being prepared for the master's return. All four hint at judgment. All four emphasize that we must be getting our life prepared while there's still time, because time's going to run out. The master will return to his house and catch the corrupt worker. The wedding feast will start, and you had better be prepared or you'll miss the wedding like the neglectful virgins. Jesus brings all these parables, one right after another, to a climactic conclusion with the parable of the sheep and the goats. Time has finally run out. And now Christ is judging the people. It's time for judgment and reward. To those on his right, the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The Father had prepared this kingdom inheritance before we were born. Why do the sheep get the inheritance? It's, it's really simple. They cared for Jesus' physical needs. Jesus pronounces, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, etc., etc. The sheep cared for Jesus when he was in need with hunger and thirst and being a stranger. In Catholicism, these deeds are known as the corporal works of mercy. This seems to be more than writing a check. It implies that you personally are engaging the least of these because that person is Jesus in his distressing disguise, you might say. Notice that they're surprised. The sheep are surprised. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? They, they couldn't recall a time when they had done this to the king. They were not aware of performing intentional, meritorious acts to get access to the kingdom. Uh, you might say their left hand didn't know what their right hand was doing. This was no big deal to them. These acts of mercy apparently had become so habitual that they were evidence that the sheep belong to the kingdom of God. These are good deeds, not trying to obligate God to save them. These are habitual acts of mercy mercy that show there's been a transformation of their heart. 
And so the works of caring for the needy are going to confirm that they belong to Christ. Now, Jesus addresses the goats on his left. Almost the same wording he used to commend the sheep on his right, he's going to use to condemn the goats on his left. Eternal fire is the punishment for not caring for Jesus' physical needs. It's, it's shocking. The goats, they're surprised as the sheep. When, when did we see you naked or hungry or in prison? And they're surprised, like the five foolish virgins were surprised. They're surprised like the wicked servant who didn't invest his talents. The goats are not condemned to eternal punishment because they've committed some heinous sin that would have made Hitler blush. No, they're condemned to eternal punishment for their failure to do the right thing in the normal give and take of everyday life when they're confronted by those in need. So here, sins of omission are worthy of eternal damnation because they are evidence that a person has not eyes to see or ears to hear. These are people who have not been transformed. Uh, Spontaneous uh, acts uh, don't spring from a heart sanctified by the Spirit of God. The unrighteous acts, even of omission, are evidence of a heart lacking in the Spirit's work of transformation. And then Jesus concludes this dramatic judgment scene by stating, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This theme of be ready, be prepared, permeates this Olivet Discourse, is what it's called. It's the fifth discourse in the Gospel of Matthew. We must be prepared for the Lord's return regardless of our circumstances. I think of the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. I think of the murders on the campus of Michigan State University. These are heart-rending events, and they strike home the truth that life's fragile and life is fleeting, and that Jesus can come for us at our death or at the close of history. This discourse focuses on Jesus at the close of history, but we know that we may see him before that time because it's appointed for man to die once, and after that the judgment. There's no second chance, no reincarnation to a new life on earth, There's a judgment that's awaiting each of us, a judgment that is according to God's righteous standards. Remember what St. Paul said to the pagans in Athens. I mean, they didn't even have the benefit of the Hebrew Scriptures. And he said to them, These times of ignorance God overlooked, but he now commands all men everywhere to repent. And, And why? Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And St. Paul lived with that expectation that Christ could return at any moment. You know, um, Catholics have the advantage of preparing for Christ's return at every Mass because he does come at every Mass. Every Mass is the coming of Christ in rehearsal for the end. We have a great advantage to prepare, to develop those habitual attitudes of selfless service and love uh, every time we go to Mass. And I, I would just I'd ask you to do what I've done many times, and that is, you know, before you go to bed tonight, before you fall asleep, ask yourself, am I a sheep? Am I a goat? Is my faith real? Am I sensitive to the needs of those I come across in daily life? You know, 
what will be my destiny. Jesus is going to return one day, and we will die one day. And when he does, or when we pass, judgment will happen. Let's make sure that we're prepared. Live as though Jesus is coming back today, and plan as though he's not coming back for 100 years. I'm Al Creston.